Welcome aboard, Captain. Welcome back to the Star Trek Minute, the semi-daily podcast where we analyze and discuss Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, one minute at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris LaSalle. That would make me your other co-host, David Stoker. Hey, Dave. Chris. How are you today on this uh, fine Monday? It is a fine Monday indeed. Yeah. And so uh, this week we've got some guests joining us. Uh, very exciting. We've got uh, Paul Sullivan here from the Sully Baseball Podcast. Hey, Paul. Hey, how you doing? Great. Thanks for coming on board. Yeah. Welcome aboard. Permission to come aboard, sir. Granted. <laughs> uh, and we've also got uh, we've got uh, Ted Sullivan. He is one of the co-executive producers and writers for Star Trek Discovery. Hey, Ted. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah. Excited and for Paul you. Took my, Paul took my uh, permission to come aboard, so I, I have nothing now. <laughs> well, thanks That's for right. listening. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Star Trek Minute. Star Trek Minute. Yep. All right. Here, so here we go. So we are uh, we are getting into it, right? We are talking today about Minute 43. Uh, minute 43 starts with uh, Kirk and company getting settled at their stations uh, on an empty and darkened bridge. And it ends a minute later uh, with the voice uh, over Space Sock's PA system saying, alert, yellow alert. So we're getting into, yes. into, the, into the energy of this film. Oh, Totally. Uh, you know, the, um, I don't know how you guys feel about this movie, but Star Trek three is for me, uh, one of the most, if not the most TOS movies that they ever made, um, for all the best and worst reasons, because it has so much heart and emotion and, and everything, but it's also like, so slapped together and, and like cheap sets and, 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 <laughs> and stuff where you go like, well, that doesn't quite make sense. But at the same point, it's got all this amazing emotional stuff. And, and this is actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Like the, the, this, this quiet moment on the bridge, on the darkened bridge with our crew, uh, all deciding to go in together like the three musketeers it's kind of beautiful yeah and in fact you asked me when we were, uh when chris and david you asked me to come aboard the show you said was there any one minute that you said and i specifically said if i could get this minute th- these minutes here these are these are this is my favorite part of the movie and so I'm, when you sent me the you know, the minutes i was so glad it wasn't the scene in the with the uh, video game biplanes in the crappy cantina. You know, I'm so glad it was. <laughs> or, or David whining next to a styrofoam cactus covered in bad snow. You know, it's like, oh, it's the best scene in the film. Oh, cool, I'm all in. You know, I was I was going to ask you guys if, there, if you had any other favorite scenes, and I'm surprised the cantina wasn't one of them. Yeah. Uh... It actually is one of mine, to be honest. And, and it's so funny because, like, that, that it, I, I think that that minute or that scene uh, is bananas and it's, it's everything, again, everything that works and doesn't work about Star Trek three is everything that works and doesn't work about Star Trek, but it's also why it's existed for 51 years. You know, it's, I mean, this movie takes, a lot of it takes place on the enterprise and on one new weird planet. Um, there's like a lot of emotional loss and, and, and Kirk pulling off a move that shows why he's the best captain in the fleet. 
but it's also, you know, this kind of slap together, weird science lapses. Uh, the sets are terrible. I mean, just pretty much universally terrible to the point where they threw them out for Star Trek Four. They were like, I oh, know, just just do better versions of of what we've got because it, they're they're awful. But at the same and and you know, like the Grissom Bridge is just the Enterprise only lit like a grocery store and has pink chairs. <laughs> <laughs> Which you're like, what? That's what you decided to do. Um, the USS Safeway is what it is. It's the. Uh... I, 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 and if I'm, I, I think, and I, I'm not a hundred, so don't hold me to this. But Jonathan Frakes, I think, told me that uh, between each movie, the sets were destroyed, so that they would have to kind of start from scratch because they didn't know if they'd be coming back. And Paramount, after the first movie, was like, well, we're we're really going to kind of hedge our bets. Um, so they didn't really carry stuff. And then you have like Harv Bennett come in, who's this TV producer, uh, who did like the $6 million man, you know, just all this kind of stuff where he's like, yep, that's kind of what it feels like. But that's also what Star Trek really is. Like, it's never been about the best special effects. It's never been about the best costumes. It's never been about the best uniforms or, or location. It's always been about who are these characters what do they care about? And what's the metaphor? What's the story? And this is a story about a family fighting to stay a family. It's it's pretty amazing. And it comes at a cost. And and honestly, the other thing is, this is by far William Shiner's best performance he ever gave in his life. By far. This is a legitimately brilliant performance. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. And I think one of the things that I like the most about Star Trek Three is its, its entire existence is crap we killed Nemo what are we going to do and uh you know because they were setting up life without Spock they were setting up Savick is going to take over there's this is you know Nemo hated playing Spock we're going to be a great death scene and it turns out he loved doing it so much that I want to come back and and let's face it I listen to you guys I love your podcast I listen to it every day and I heard you guys take like three whole episodes wrestling over the Katra and I kept yelling into my iPhone, it's called Paramount Pictures saying, get Nimoy back. I don't give a crap. Call it a Katra. I don't give a crap. And- it's, also one of, it's also one of the things I've been dealing with on, on, on Discovery, which is, you know, people always got angry. Oh, there's, you're adding something into canon. It's like, people added stuff into canon all the time. The mind meld was added into canon. And Katra was added. It's just whatever we need to do for a story you do because it's science fiction and it's, it, you try to make it work. But it works in this, and that I mean, also that scene with Sarek and and Kirk is is great. a beautiful scene. It's a great scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah agreed. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. we worry about canon, and yet Robin Curtis is playing Savick in this. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's so just true. a new hairstyle. That's all it is. No. So you you, you guys yeah. brought up an interesting. Uh, the question I had, one of the questions I had about Search for Spock in general, we've been talking about it minute by minute, but one of the ones I had in general is, do, do we feel that Search for Spock is undoing everything that Wrath of Khan did? You know, emotion. I think the fact that it works so well, it has no reason to be as as beloved a movie as it does because it's it's a contractual obligation movie and it undoes Wrath of Khan in many ways and yet... It works because it knows the whole film doesn't have to work. Certain points of the film have to work. Certain emotional... There's like five emotional points that this film works that makes up for everything else. 
And, um, and I'll go. I'll go one step further. I, I, I just on that point. I want to say I think it works because Kirk loses something brutal and emotional, which mm-hmm. is his son. <laughs> so if it, if if he didn't lose David, then it would totally have undone Wrath of Khan, and there there wouldn't have been any lesson learned. He 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 still faces death, and he still has to live with death. David right. is the death, and it and and it's it's brutal. And Spock is there to help him kind of recover from that in four. Uh, and you see in six, he hasn't even fully recovered from that because his hatred for Klingons is, right. is lingering and understandable. So I think what's amazing about what they do in this movie is they undo Wrath of Khan, but they find a very clever and emotionally satisfying way to keep the lesson of Wrath of Khan alive, which is pretty brilliant. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't, you know, I, I've gone on record, if you've listened to the podcast, I've gone on record saying that this was this one is not one of my favorites. But every once in a while during the movie, and I've admitted it during the minutes we've done, some of the minutes are just so spectacular that you can't feel the emotion that, and like you said, this is one of Shatner's best performances. And some of the scenes with Sarek, with David, are some of the best emotional scenes that they've had Outside of maybe the death scene with Spock. Yeah, like 100%. Yeah, Correct. 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, keep in mind, like, I mean, that, that scene when Kirk loses David is stunning. I mean, his performance is restrained. It's grounded. It's soul shattering. And I mean, think of the look that Scotty gives Kirk. It says it all. It's like the first time you've ever seen your father cry. Yeah. It's like we see behind the curtain. You thought he was devastated leaning against the window with Spock. Spock lived a full life. He had a he had a whole life with Spock. But this is his son who he mm. just reconnected with and now and, and and a chance to try to make things right and and David's gone. Like like that and and the look that they all give. I mean, I, I get choked up every single time I watch that scene. And that look by James Doohan is just soul crushing because it's like, oh God, our captain, our admiral, our our Kirk, our savior. He's he's down and beaten. And then what's amazing is he when he sits back up and he goes, I swear to you, we're not finished yet. It's like yeah. that's an amazing turn for him. It's great. Well, I think also I think also with Scotty though. He knows that pain because he also experienced the yes. loss. Right, Peter Preston. Yeah, Peter yeah. Preston. Yeah. And I, I feel like they have that connection. And again, amazing, amazing performance. Yeah. I mean, the other, th- we always, you know, people talk about the, the big three, Kirk and, and McCoy and Spock. But the other thing that I'm going to give a, a nod to as great performances because of this scene is you got to say the rest of the bridge crew in this movie is great, and primarily because they hated Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they hated him. And yet, every moment on screen, they're adoring him, they're loving him. Like, you... That's some some acting going on right there. Because, like, Shatner was out of control at this point, by all accounts. He was... He was... uh, He had a hit show with T.J. Hooker. Uh, He was annoyed Nimoy was directing him. He'd blocked... Takei from uh, being captain of the Reliant, uh, out of ego. I mean, this is a guy who made a lot of people miserable, yet somehow they, this group of actors, really make you believe that they will do anything for their for their former captain and admiral. I mean, it's you can't feel all the stuff that you feel in this movie without 
all of the bridge crew um, projecting what they do. Right. It's, it's it's a family, and it's always it always comes through. You're right. You would never know that they didn't. You know that there chem- there wasn't chemistry off screen. Yeah, I mean, it, it bothers me a lot that Ohura is not with them. It really, it yes. it really bothers me. Uh, it, it, it she got. There's no re. We already know that they can beam without someone just standing there. They did it in Wrath of Khan. Right. So it it drives me crazy that she leaves. I don't understand, and it robs Michelle Nichols of having those moments on the bridge with everyone. It just doesn't make any sense. And the other thing they could have done, I was thinking about this the other day, is you could have still had her have the moment with Mr. Adventure putting him in there. <laughs> yeah. But we already established we already established Rand was looking at him, you know, at the she was there at the restaurant. Like why can't she have her little cameo that she comes up and says, you know, like gives the crew one last little thumbs up at that right. point. Right. You know, she could have she could she I mean, granted the last time we saw her operate a transporter she killed two people in the motion picture. <laughs> so maybe it was, hey, Rand, you may want to ease up on that. But I don't know. I mean, it just, uh, it's just something to think about there. So I will also but say, I that, totally agree. Yeah, I'll also say I'm a little annoyed that Scotty just uses basically a sonic screwdriver to make the Enterprise operable by a chimpanzee and two trainees. Because well, I have a whole, I have a whole other thing about that because because <laughs> this is my biggest problem. This is my favorite minute, but the whole this is a a moment where I have to clench my teeth a little and go like, really, really? It it you just take what? Yeah, McCoy isn't going to do piddly poo. You're not even bringing Uhura, so it's basically four dudes can run the Enterprise. Every time you go down to engineering, it's there's all the guys dressed up like Peter Preston running around and they're all turning knobs and pulling levers and hitting buttons. You know there's a little button there that says, oh, when that goes blue, just hit that button. Okay, yeah, fine. There's no one hitting that button down there. So if they went down to engineering, there's probably hoses spraying all over the place. It's on fire. The console has smoke coming out because no one, you know, oh, yeah, if you just hit that, it's fine. Just it, it, it sets, it's like a circuit breaker. So the engine was probably on fire at this point. Well, and by the time they go to four, they could say, hey, when we get the new Enterprise, you don't need a whole crew. You really only need four people. <laughs> Well, on that note, with the fire down in engineering, this is a ship that just came back from a major beating. Right. So, right. so you're taking the four dudes out in in the vessel that barely limped its way back into star, you know, star starbase, and now you're heading back out alone. like that is just yeah, alone with no backup. He, he's a miracle worker, guys. He, he's a miracle worker. You right. I, I, I mean, look, there is precedent for this. You know, there's there's the ultimate computer. Um, but even when like Dr. Daystrom installed the M5 multitronic system, he had to put that in. Like you see, like there was a big piece of equipment that went in at the console. So, I mean, yes, it's been done before. One, it didn't go very well. Uh, but two, you're exactly right. They just barely made it Mm. back. I mean, they feel like they're limping back. Uh, and to go back out and not really pay more um, more attention to that detail is a little frustrating. But again, this feels like we didn't realize Wrath of Khan was going to go over really well. We need to get Spock back. We we need to get the... And, and we got Nimoy, who has never done a movie before, so it feels exactly like TV direction. I mean, it's and if you look at this, it's incredibly static. Hmm. There is no depth of field. There's no camera moves. He doesn't know how to frame a shot. And it's stunning to see 
how he leaps from three to four because four looks yeah, beautiful. Right. <laughs> four move the cameras alive, and the mise en scène within a shot is just unbelievably uh, intelligent. And, and I think he applied his photography uh, interests into framing the next movie and also figuring out how to direct the movie and 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 control the see the 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 scenes more um but boy this this that's what i love about it too is that it really feels like tos it's just Mm. flat and you just watch the acting and listen to the story and that's all it is don't i mean there are two other elements that i think we have to acknowledge which is ilm knocked it out of the park yeah Their, their effects are amazing the, the and you know model effect, the models are and design are, are are fantastic for the most part and the other thing is James Horner once again is just great so one of the questions i had uh, about about this minute or one of the, one of my favorite parts of the minute is um, is the enterprise well i guess the question for you guys is what do you think of the enterprise in the sequence these minutes of it backing out of space dock because to me it's very I really, I really like it. I think it's it's very cool, and it was a cool decision uh, because they're treating the Enterprise, you know, as they should, like a like a like a battleship, like the Titanic, right? It's not something they could just turn around, spin on a dime, and just you know whoosh out the doors like an X-wing. It's it's uh, it's this behemoth that you know has to slowly back out and do this three-point turn before it can even you know get out into space. And that's that's one of my f- favorite parts of this. I think it was very creative that they 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 thought they thought of this and it it definitely adds to the tension was as we get into the next couple of minutes but what do you guys think about it i personally love it um i think it's a brilliant idea i think it gives uh the ship weight um it, it makes it feel more realistic um also you know to do a turn a turn would take up valuable time these guys have maybe what a minute and a half to try to pull off this maneuver so imagine making a 180 turn for no reason by the way because you have a view screen that can look in any direction that you want um it's such a cool uh nod to nautical um ships and uh the it also drives home the point that these things are made they're they're not cgi they're models and they have weight to them and I think that also contributes to how you shoot them and how you manipulate them and how you, you choreograph them. And this entire sequence is two big, lumbering, heavy ships chasing after each other. And that's really kind of neat. And it's helped along, of course, by incredible effects by ILM and amazing music, the, the, that kind of Horatio Hornblower music from James Horner. And... and really some great just cutaways to actors reacting to a blank screen but uh, but you know in imagination it, it's it's really it really really works brilliantly and it's such a neat imaginative uh sequence it, it's the best action scene in the in the movie and there's no phasers fired or anything like that and i you made the great point ted that it's it has weight that it doesn't you know if this were CG, one of my great problems with cgi is they can they have the freedom to have it spin and do whatever they want, but one thing that does is it takes you out of the reality of the movie. That this is a giant, as you said, this is a giant ship, which apparently needs only four people to operate, and that taking it is not an easy task. One of the things I also like about this, though, um, 
And, and I talked about this a little bit when I was on the Indiana Jones Minute. We were talking about Raiders. And there was a couple of scenes in the film where it's clear that they trusted the story. Like, if this were today, a Raftar would fall through, and then there'd be a big phaser battle. And I think, Ted, you were talking to me about how there would be, like, five security guards coming up, and Sulu would have to punch one of them and everything. And no, they're just backing up. But you are emotionally invested in it. So it's not about the bam whiz sort of explosion, but it's about, we're going to, all right, we're here to go find Spock. Let's go find effing Spock. And, and that they trust that the audience is so behind this that they will be at the edge of their seat for watching a, a big ship back out of, of the harbor. And it works to this day. To this day, this scene gives me more thrills and more hair on the end of my, you know, hair standing up than anything <laughs> in the second J.J. Abrams Star Trek film. Any sequence of that doesn't hold a candle to this ship backing up. And that's because, I, I, I think I may have said this earlier, but this what this film may lack in some story plot holes and some kind of clunky moments, it is never insincere. It's 100% sincere, and it works emotionally on every level, even if there's some faults in the screenplay. The other, the other thing about having this model and moving slowly that I absolutely love about it is it makes it feel heavy so that when it's approaching that door, you think, this could cause a lot of damage. <laughs> this, this could go very, very wrong. And it, that... That alone, the slow movement of it makes it feel more dangerous uh, in the same way that if you've yeah. ever been on a small boat next to a tanker, which when we grew up in, in Connecticut and we'd be on a motorboat and you'd go near a tanker, it's, it's kind of scary. And that's what, this, that, that's what this moment has, which I love about it. And it also is such a weird thing that plays with your head to see the nasals backing up when they enter into the screen uh, towards the door, it's a unique shot. We've never really seen that before. So again, that's, I think that's a lot of ILM kind of coming up with the shots and storyboarding stuff and presenting them because like they previs all this stuff. So it's, that's imaginative people saying, what are we going to do with this cool ship now that we have this technology where we can do something interesting with it that hasn't been done before, which is why the scene is so unique and so thrilling to this day. And it's ILM's varsity team as I mentioned, it's ILM's yeah. varsity team using the same techniques and quality of effects of that would have been in Return of the Jedi, and saying this is where the money went. And you know, in a scene like this, the money's on the screen big time in this. And uh, and I think that it's, but it the entire movie has built up to, all right, we know Spock's alive. We know a version of Spock is alive or a vessel of his body is alive because of the Atari graphics on the Genesis planet. And we know his intelligence is alive because it's scrambled up with McCoy. So the only thing we need to do is get the ship and get out of here. And so now we're getting the ship. Now all we've got to do is get out of here. And so the entire film has, at, up until this point, really all has funneled into this, which is what makes it. It's called a story, and it's what makes... And, Ted, you were talking about how this is the most like the original series. The best original series shows were not about spectacle or violence. It was about building the story up. And this really... It really captures it. And, and I, this is probably my favorite scene in the movie. 
I also want to say one other thing. Paul made a comment about it's just four guys flying the ship, which is true. But I do want to, because I'm, I have to tip my hat to Cannon uh, all the time. That's what I do every day in the writer's room is track Cannon. Um, it, there is precedent for that. You know, there, there was the episode, The Ultimate Computer, uh, where Dr. Daystrom, um, you know, installed the M5 Multitronic system. Um, but it, it, I do think it would have been cool if Scotty had to do a little bit more hacking uh, to show, like, uh, if he had to tear the ship apart a little bit or the helm apart a little bit. Uh, but I also think this goes back to the idea that a TV producer in Harv Bennett and a first-time director, Nimoy, were just slapping together this film as fast and cheap as possible. Um, and <laughs> yeah. I don't even think they had the time to consider stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which, again, feel, feels like classic track. So I have, I, have, I have a question for you guys. Or Dave, did you, sorry, did you, what, any thoughts on, on backing out? Is No, I mean, I, I'm just enjoying listening to them go back and <laughs> forth and discussing this because it's, this is fantastic. Well, this, this movie means a ton to Paul and me because this was the first one we saw in the theaters. This is the one that yeah. um, I was a bigger Trek fan than Paul but because uh, I had read all the books. And it, I, I, the first movie, this episode I'd ever seen was Sitting on the Edge of Forever, which is this kind of crazy experience for me, which I didn't really understand what I was watching. It made me feel profoundly sad. Um, but I also understood there was a morality lesson. I, I've said in a couple times that like at the past Trek convention I was at, sitting in the edge of forever taught me my morality more than any like <laughs> CCD class. Um, but that, this is a movie, this is a movie that, that Paul and I shared together in the theater and also was super, super crowd pleasing. I mean, no one in this is before social media. This is before like things were spoiled. We didn't know what spoilers were. You just went to the movie. So to, to see, them steal the Enterprise, shocking. <laughs> to see uh, the Enterprise blow up, wh what are you talking about? And then there, are, I mean, even this moment, the very end of this minute, where the guy is standing there and looking out the window as he's cleaning up the tables in the in the lobby uh, or the, in the restaurant, it's such a, it, that was a crowd-pleasing moment. The, the crowd actually laughed. It's just, it's a weird cutaway, but... This movie is filled of little moments like that. I mean, the the next couple of minutes, the the reaction shots of Scotty and and Kirk when Kirk comes up all uh, confident. I mean, all of those things were huge, crowd pleasing moments. And for us, this was one of those. I, I, I'm in love with this franchise again. And I and I the you're right. You were a bit you were a Trek fan before me. I was too busy watching the Red Sox, but the. Uh, and and we had seen the motion picture when I was seven, and and you were I don't know how old you were I don't know if you're allowed to reveal ages in in Hollywood, but I was seven <laughs> when we saw the motion picture, and I was bored out of my mind. I'm like, give me the black hole any day. At least Maximilian was scary, you know. And I so and I never saw Wrath of Khan in the theater because I said I didn't like Star Trek one. Why am I going to see Star Trek two when I can go see E.T. or Rocky three? And eventually. One of your friends, it was one of your friends, Ted. It may have been Paul Connolly. It may have been John Harmon. Someone said, brought, we rented Star Trek II and watched it. I was like, ah, oh, that's not too bad. The guy from Fantasy Island's not bad. But I really, I still didn't get as into it as you and your friend did. And then we, you and I went to go see this 
um, probably at Shoppers World in Framingham, if I'm not mistaken. And I loved it. And this was my, the reason why this is my second favorite Star Trek film is it's a gateway drug for me. That this opened up Star Trek to me. That I associate my love for Star Trek in its many incarnations with specifically this movie. And loving it, loving the, the adventure, loving the special effects, loving the story, loving the ending. And then Ted and I rewatched Wrath of Khan. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't realize how good this was. And it was interesting because it was the earliest binge watching. Because, yes, they, they had uh, Star Trek was on Channel 68 in Boston. It was on Channel 11 when we went down to Connecticut. But Chorus Line Video, which was the video store that Ted and I would bike to, had episodes that you could rent. So we would rent about three or four episodes of that and Police Squad. Those were the first two shows we ever binge watched, Police Squad and Star Trek. And we would, and so we kind of caught up, and we got caught up by the time Star Trek Four came out. We knew who everyone was. We'd, we'd seen, if not every episode, then, you know, en- enough of them. And so I love this movie because this is like, this is, this is what made me love Star Trek. And to this day, I love Star Trek. Uh and now my brother writes for Star Trek. I mean, holy cow. We, we, we all, go ahead. Go ahead. So, total, total, no, total tangent, because we all grew up in the same area. And uh, your comment about the, the Boston channels, did you guys, do you guys remember uh, Creature Double Feature on Channel 56? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Channel 56. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, you, have, you have to understand, Creature Double Feature on Channel 56 yeah was our favorite show every week and the we, we would get the boston globe yep. and they would have the tv um guide in it and the first thing we would do was flip to that to see hoping hoping that it was going to be some type of toho godzilla movie like that we were obsessed with the godzilla movies but sometimes you get like them or you know something like that but when we, that's where we fell in love with destroy all monsters and uh, Godzilla versus Monster X and Godzilla versus Gigan. I mean, we that we were. Yep. Ups- I loved the opening credits where where Godzilla would. Boom! Boom! Yeah, I, I mean, it. it was that was that <laughs> was another gateway drug for us. I mean, I'm still to this day obsessed with Godzilla. So. Hey Ted, do you what? There was always the worst though, because we would, we would, we were one of the earliest in having a VCR in our neighborhood, and so, and Ted and I were the only two people on the planet Earth who knew how to program a VCR. Um, like everyone else was blinking twelve o'clock, twelve o'clock, twelve o'clock, and we actually knew how to program a VCR. So that meant we could, we could actually tape stuff, and we taped Star Trek, we taped other things. And so when we would get the TV week from the uh, from the Globe. And we're pouring over it like we're wood, we're Bernstein, sort of going through it, just you know, finding any movie we can we can tape. And then when you got the creature double feature, the worst, and I, you you may agree with me, Ted, the worst when it was like a hammer double feature. It was like oh, Curse of Frankenstein. Oh, oh for God's sakes, I don't want to see that. God, I, and not hey, it's got Peter Cushing, his <laughs> yeah. grandma Tark, and this sucks. This just sucks. I, I want to see a Godzilla film. You know? <laughs> I want sweaty Japanese men in rubber suits walking through model cities. That's what I want. That's and then we'll watch a movie. Yeah, that's what you know. Where where did where do you guys grow? We grew up in uh, Weston, which is out near Wayland and Waltham. Where 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 are you guys from? Oh, I grew up in uh, I grew up in Hull, which is down South Shore. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I was I grew up in a, up just up in New Hampshire, Manchester, New Hampshire. Oh, oh man, yeah. yep. Yep. Now that is that where Jordan's furniture was left on Spitbrook, right on Daniel Webster. Yeah, no. that's uh, just just down the road in Nashua. Oh, that's Nashua! Nashua. Yeah. In Nashua. That's yeah. right. Okay. okay. But, but absolutely, we all have that that phrase yep. is ingrained oh, yeah. in everybody's mind. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that that and I can walk yes. like a penguin. Oh my God, I can hear my voice. Well, welcome, welcome to the Boston uh, Nostalgia from 1980, minute by minute. We're going to break down Creature Double Feature and uh, Dale Dorman and WLBI TV 56, all the stuff we grew up, all that garbage. Oh you know, it's God. fun to find out what it's really like in space at the Boston Museum of Science. Yeah. Oh, you guys, you can't see the grin on my face right now, but it is gigantic. This is just wonderful. We can feel it. We can feel it. All right. I, I have a question for you. Getting back to the minute. So, uh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that minute. Uh, so Enterprise is backing out. Um, yeah. Sulu gets a, uh, gets a m- uh, message that, you know, uh, uh, they've been ordered to surrender this. this oh, Chekhov. Oh, yeah, Chekhov. Sorry. He's been ordered to surrender Chekhov. this vessel. Chekhov. Is this the first time we've heard him say vessel like that? Is this a. I, I believe that's. Ooh, oh, man. That's a real good canon question that I cannot answer. Because it would not surprise me if he said it in TOS. It, it, this is the first time he said it in in the films. in the movies. Yeah. Yes, definitely in the films, and it and of course it becomes iconic in four. Yes, yeah. yes, oh, exactly. Yeah. Which is what I was thinking about. But uh, yeah, when he when I when he said it, I'm like, oh yeah, I wonder how many other times he said it before this. And uh... I was just gonna say, like, the thing that's amazing is you slam from an unbelievable, and quite frankly, I think would work today effect of the enterprise backing up uh which is just a glorious shot to this horrible horrible tv set uh i mean at least they brought the lighting down but it's just it's just (laughs) cheap the displays are cheap uh these costumes i don't know if we mentioned before but have to be some of the worst costumes ever designed for film anywhere (laughs) i'm including uh, any canon film. Uh, this, this is just, uh, I, I don't under, I mean, Scotty's, I like Scotty's jacket and Sulu uh, pulls off his, his little outfit, but holy crap, the rest of them, I mean, poor, poor Walter and his, I don't understand what's going on with his Quaker collar and his pink leisure suit. I mean, I, I, I don't understand what's happening. It's just, he looks in the shot when he turns around and says uh, the, the Wessel line, he looks ashamed. He looks like a like when you dress a puppy up in a costume, and they know that I'm wearing a dumb like ladybug costume, and like why? And you take a picture of your dog. Like he just looks so sad and unhappy. <laughs> and you know what the thing about these costumes is? We're stuck with them throughout four. It's like this weird decisions on all these costumes, and only Michelle Nichols gets to have the uniform, and yeah. everyone else is stuck with these. You know. Michelle uh, was probably the only one who could pull off some, you know, nice sort of fashionable outfit. But no, we have uh, everyone stuck with this, and uh, Sulu's is still, I think, the most fashionable. Can we talk a little bit about the captain uh, James? I think it's Sicking is his name, who was the SWAT commander in the TV show SWAT. Uh, famous that guy TV. He was also in Doogie Howser. Yeah, he was Doogie's dad. Uh, Doogie's dad. And. Yeah. Hill Street Blues uh, as well. So we worked with my friend Waylon Green, uh, but uh, he he really, in very little screen time, pulls this character off brilliantly. 
he just this is one of those examples where the you know the guy who played the 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 weird alien in the bar scene with McCoy uh, is a, is a cl- another classic that guy from TV and just you know brings nothing to the role. It's like what what are you what, who is that guy? Mm-hmm. But but James Sicking it just crushes it here. He every choice he makes helps with character. Uh, it, it's really it's really fun and it makes you root against him, which is what you want. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there's a there's a subtext as well because he says about uh, well let's break some of the Enterprise speed records so he kind of looks at himself and okay Kirk and the Enterprise is over there's a new sheriff in town and that's me and so having him be the person who's pursuing the Enterprise and and he later you know later on in a minute that Ted and I aren't doing but he he communicates to Kirk basically you do this you'll never you know you'll never be a captain again I believe is the line you know there's a sense of arrogance like okay. Kirk's days are over. My days are just beginning, and they've given me the sweetest ship in the fleet. And, and the writing crop, the writing crop is a great. Cho- I mean, it's or, or the space writing crop. It's such a great choice. I, it's it, it makes you anyone who carries around a, a writing crop who isn't anywhere near or on a horse <laughs> is a real d bag. And I, I got to say, it, it's it really. I love. I love that little sequence of him buffing his nails. Uh, it, it doesn't he, he, lying down, just just totally arrogant. Uh, his line, every line delivery he's got is is out of this world. Uh, and then, of course, we have to give a little nod to more of the worst set dressing of all time. I don't all know. If time. I don't know if that's a couch, if that's a bed, if it's a bed, it's a terrible bed. So he's got like a space futon. And then look at that control next to him. Uh, you know, at near the end of the minute, like at 39 seconds, it's, yeah. what does that do? It's a green button and three aqua, uh, like, rectangles. It's, what, who, did anyone have a meeting about, I mean, on our show, we spend so much time talking about every little, <laughs> like the color of a drink that someone's going to have. I, I honestly feel they just... They just borrowed a set from Space 1999 and painted it different. I mean, it's just and and what I, I will go to my grave saying that that glass above that control panel is a Boston Bruins 1972 Stanley Cup champion tankard. I mean, there's I'm staring at it and I see no clue of anything other than that's a Bruins logo, that's a cup that maybe he's a Bruins, maybe he's from Nashua, New Hampshire. I don't know, but you know. But there, there he is, and he's got that that that's silver cylinder and this strange piece of like artwork, or is it a computer readout? It just puts something spacey behind his head. Well, although I will say this in defense of the <laughs> yeah. in defense of the indefensible, like on our show, uh, Michelle Yeoh's captain, she was uh, she was really into classical music and actually liked vinyl, so she has a record player in the corner. So maybe he's just really into. Uh, 20th century hockey. Yeah, that's a that's a distinct possibility. I mean, they're all everyone has different interests, so maybe he liked to collect memorabilia from uh, the northeastern United States of America pre World War Three. And yeah, you see, he, if he has a Ray Bork jersey hanging in the background, I'm in. I'm totally in. Well, if they ever design more of the set than <laughs> two and a half square feet. Absolutely. We might find out that he actually had uh, a whole bunch of like he has maybe he has Bobby Orr's head frozen in a jar or something like that. 
And, and they'll have to do the classic Star Trek thing. We all know the great Boston Bruins, Bobby Orr, Ray Bork, Snornak from Steinford Five, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. That may be all I got. <laughs> yeah, no, I, the only the, the one the one last note I had was as we got right to the end of the minute, and I think Ted, you called it already, was the 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 janitor in the in the in the restaurant uh, watching the Enterprise back up. That 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 is actually uh, oh. it, when the Enterprise arrived is one of my favorite scenes because of the just all the emotions that are that are that are you know portrayed through the uh, all the onlookers I- and. You know, and Janice Rand. And Janice, yeah. yeah. Although they won't say it's Janice Rand. Uh, I, I I'll, next minute I'll go into my theory of why she's credited that way. I won't. I won't. I won't belabor this minute with it. Okay, that, so. we'll save it. We'll save it. Uh, but I, yeah. I, I like it. Uh, I think it's a real nice touch. It, it reminds me of uh, in the motion picture when the Enterprise leaves uh, the space dock cage. There's just like one guy out and yeah, he's an waving. He's yeah. like, Hey, waving. goodbye. It, it, that's totally what it evokes for me is that <clears throat> is this moment here. And, uh, uh, again, puts a smile on my face. And it's cool. That, that That's cool that it evokes that because there's one moment in that moment, it's a wave and excitement. And, and in the motion picture, he does a backflip, but, um, but it's excitement. And this is more like, what the hell is going on? So it is, I, I think we're giving them too much credit to say that this is a callback, but uh, we can project meaning onto it and say that it's a callback, and it's a, a reverse, like it's a nice bookend where it's this is has a totally different feeling. Even thematically, you could argue backing out is different. Like they're, they're, everything about this mission is turned upside down. I love that there's a meni- there are menial jobs in Starfleet. Like, this guy is just cleaning tables at this point. And you know that guy joined yeah. Starfleet thinking, someday I'm going to pilot my own vessel. And he's cleaning the restaurant of the place where they park the ships. And he's like, oh, man. And, I, and, I, and again, was this shot in a Marriott? I mean, look at that. <laughs> the plants. Those are space plants. Space <laughs> potted plants. Apparently, Federation is really into potted yeah. plants. Yeah. I mean, look. And the and did they get a deal on the bowls? <laughs> The, the pots that they're in? I mean, look at that. It's, it's, oh. What do you think they, what there do you think they so served li- there? I mean, was the food, did they have the clam strips? Was it like a Hojo's? I mean, I, I think that's, I think this is Andorian. I think it's Andorian food. It's like if we have Chinese food or Greek food, it's like this is Andorian. All right, food. that this makes sense. Andorian I would have guessed that after Hojo's. All right, guys, on that note, any, <laughs> any other comments on this wonderful minute? God. I, I, I'm out. Uh, I'm out. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I think I'm I'm good on this one. It it, it rocks. This is I, I can't be more excited talking about these couple of minutes. It's great. Awesome. All right. Well, then, uh, why don't we wrap it up here? Um, I'll just uh, invite folks to. Uh, we'll be back again on Wednesday. But uh, folks, if you want to find us online, you can uh, check us out on uh, the Star Trek Minute Listener Federation on Facebook. Uh, you can jo- join the group, talk about the films. You can talk about Star Trek Discovery, which we're probably mm-hmm. about four or five episodes into the season so far, and uh, thrilled with everything we've seen so far. Ted, thank you. Um, And, uh, yeah, we'll be back again on Wednesday with Minute 44 of the Search for Spock here at the Star Trek Minute. Bye now.